He's a hero from the Vietnam War. He's actually the second Vietnam vet that we're speaking to today. And he'd be proud to hear that me, of all people, who never served a second, even thought about serving a second, will be, in fact, hanging out with Chapter 126 of the Vietnam Vets of America at the parade today, where for some reason they're honoring me. Makes no sense, but it's true. Here he is, folks. I love this guy. I misloved him. He's known me many times since. Colonel Jack Jacobs. Jack, it's Sid. How are you, buddy? Good morning, Sid. I'm great. As a matter of fact, you sound more like me than than, uh, than I sound like anybody else. <laughs> we come from the same sort of background, right? Old New York City boys. Yeah, that's so right. It's, good, that's it's right. good to be with you, Sid. It's good to have you. I, I spoke to a gentleman earlier. His name is uh, Fred Gasor, and he is the president of the Vietnam Veterans of America, Chapter 126. I'll be marching with those guys today uh, at the parade. And, you know, we talked a lot, uh, Colonel, about how you guys were treated when you got back to America, specifically that war. You could talk about Korea, you could talk about the Gulf War, but for some reason, you guys in particular, Vietnam vets, were treated really shabbily when you returned home. Why do you think that was the case, and how angry were you about that? Well, it was the case. Most most people were very badly treated. There's a number of reasons for that. I, I escaped a lot of that. I wound up staying in the Army, and so I spent the large majority of my time on military bases with other soldiers and didn't experience the kind of uh, approbation that the rest of the Vietnam veterans did when they came home, despite the fact that uh, most of them didn't volunteer. They were fighting a war they didn't want to fight, and that war was vastly unpopular almost from the very beginning. And the principal reason for that was was twofold. The, the military establishment and the government both had no handle whatsoever on what they were doing. They didn't start at the end and work backwards. They didn't decide what it was they were trying to accomplish and what things it would take in order to do that. Uh, both the military and civilian leaders in the government were uh, were unskilled at using the military instrument of power in that environment. And the second thing was the draft. Uh, I'm a fan of of uh, universal service. I think if you're lucky enough to live in a free country, you owe it something in the form of service. But when you have a draft that is selective, where some people are chosen to serve and others for completely arbitrary and sometimes nonsensical reasons are not chosen, you open up a wide gulf between the people who are serving Hmm. and those who are being served. And and, and nobody was very happy about it. Both both the people who were serving and the people who weren't serving, that's why you saw some of the mess that you did. Sid. That is a great point, Colonel. That is a great point. You know, last night, uh, my wife and I had dinner with uh, Mayor Eric Adams, and I've got a 13-year-old son, and he goes to a very expensive private school in New York City, Jack. And um, I, ch- I switched schools because he was actually, believe it or not, as a little white kid, experiencing racism. So I switched his school this year to a different school, and I said, son... In history class, what are you learning about in your new school? And he said, to be honest, Dad, much of the same. Civil rights every day, civil rights. And don't get me wrong, that's important. He should learn about that. But I'm like, have you ever been taught about, I don't know, the Holocaust, 9-11, Vietnam? And the answer was no. So my son, for example, has no idea why we even went to that war in the first place. But So for that whole generation who may be listening right now, what was the catalyst for us to go into that war in the first place? Yeah, well, I, ostensibly it was the it, it, it was the 
the announcement by the uh, by the North Vietnamese that they were going to take over the entire country, and and they started working toward it. That and there were the incidents in the Gulf of Tonkin, which people historians say was largely manufactured, which was then the impetus for the uh, Congress deciding that the president could do whatever he wanted with the military with the military force. You had uh, General William Westmoreland, who looked great in the uniform and and so on, had. But he was not very skilled in the tactical and strategic use of the military instrument of power. And one thing after another, they got worse and worse. They, uh, you mentioned education. Uh, the the expensive school I went to was PS 83 in Queens, <laughs> yeah. on Vernon Avenue. Yeah. And I got to tell you, education has changed dramatically since I went to school. I got a first-class education in New York City public schools. First class, I learned about everything. The dumbest guy in my class could read an article in the New York Times and and understand it. Uh, if you gave him a question to answer, he'd be able to write you an answer. And it, it wouldn't be Hemingway, but every sentence would have a subject and a predicate and a punctuation mark. And you can't get that out of people graduating from Harvard nowadays. Why? We've got a cri- we've got a crisis in education, and let's well, why, why, it out. why do you think that's the that's the case? I agree with you. You're 100 percent right. And in fact, I know for a fact I've got little kids. You're 100 percent right. But why? Why is that? Uh, we raised a generation of people who thought that uh, facts were unnecessary. Uh, the ability to communicate was unnecessary, and. And uh, one of the things we needed to do was teach people how to get in touch with their feelings. And uh, we've wasted a lot of time uh, doing the latter and not enough of the former. And the result is that we've, we now have several generations who can't find their backsides with both hands. <laughs> well and, said. And we're not, and, and, and not going to be able to teach them that. No, no, we have to get serious about it. I agree. It. I agree. Colonel Jackson. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you one thing that's happened as a result of that, too. A huge gap has now opened up there, too, between the people who know what the heck they're doing, which group is smaller than it used to be when I was young, and those who don't have a clue. And if you if you want one explanation for uh, for inequality in earning power, for inequality in success among adults, it's the crappy education that yep. people are getting in public yep. schools. Agreed. Hey, Colonel Jack, uh, there's been a lot of talk the last couple of years about the service and the type of folks that people want to see serving this country. I'm talking specifically about gay people, transgender people, uh, maybe women. I don't know. But it, it seems to be there's a lot of that going on, a lot of uh, what kind of person should or shouldn't serve. You get involved in those conversations? I I don't usually, but I have an opinion. I think, and I, and I mentioned it before. I think everybody should serve. I think it's a mistake uh, that we we have we have entrusted the defense of the country to a very small number of young men and women who are willing to do it. When I was young, I grew up in the projects in Long Island City. Everybody in the neighborhood, every household that made a contribution to the defense of the republic. I had friends whose fathers were missing arms and legs, friends who had no fathers at all because they'd been killed in the Second World War. I do not remember encountering anybody whose father had not served. Everybody served. Everybody had served. And now we uh, decide that we're, we're going we're gonna to have just uh, – you don't have to do anything. 
uh, your freedom is going to be maintained by people you don't even know. Yeah, but let me ask you, you know, so do serve- not know anybody in universe. No, I know, but serving is one thing. But I need you to be honest with me here, Jack. Be, be honest with me. Serving is one thing, but if I put you back in Vietnam in one of those, you know, life or death battles, and you're in a foxhole somewhere, and uh, the person next to you is gay or transgender or female, are you going to feel as confident you're getting out of there as, uh, alive as if uh, it's a male? And I don't care if the answer is yes. It doesn't matter to me, but be honest. Are you going to be as confident? Well, my, my, my rule of thumb is uh, the, the following question. How fast can you reload? I mean, that's all I care about. Right, right, and, right. And so if, if you know what you're doing, if you're going to take care of me so I can take care of you, if you recognize we're all in it together, like Benjamin Franklin said, if we don't hang together, we will surely hang separately. That's right. He if did that's say that. what's going to happen, yeah. I'm perfectly happy with it. I, I literally do want to see everybody, everybody in uniform for at least a short period of time so we at least have something in common. I do not want to, uh, to have a situation in which most Americans do not know anybody in uniform. And like I said, I don't care who the hell it is. Okay. As, lo- okay. as long as whoever it is can pull a pin on a hand grenade and reload weapon really okay. fast. Because I will tell you that uh, very smart people like my late partner, Bernie, who loved you, and he passed away back in October, which was a horrible tragedy. But Yeah, God bless him. Yeah, he, he would talk about our woke army not being great anymore. And I would bring on Gordon Chang, and I would disagree with Bernie. I'd say, oh, stop. Even if we are woke, we're still the most powerful army in the world. If, you know, if China ever, God forbid, decided to go you know, military with us, we would still win. Bernie was like, no, we wouldn't. We've got a woke army. What do you think, our army well, right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's a big difference between who serves, and like I said, I want everybody to serve, and what they're taught when they're what they what they're taught is important while they're serving. The only thing that uh, is worthwhile is in in a military establishment is having a force that can fight and defeat the enemy, to kill or capture the enemy by means of fire maneuvering wars, secure terrain and hold on to it, and and wokeness ain't going to do it. Wokeness will never do it. Teaching people how to work together by integrating their forces so that they can destroy the enemy, that's going to that's gonna work. Turning, turning the military establishment into a social experiment is an extremely bad idea, especially when so few people are serving. Uh, Bernie was absolutely right about that. You know, on the way out, Colonel Jack Jacobs, uh, decorated Colonel Jack Jacobs, by the way, received the Medal of Honor. He's just a, a super guy to own him for many, many years. Outside of that 15 minutes with Bush 41, that initial Gulf, Gulf War, you probably have to go back to World War II to talk about a victory for the United States. We've got the best, most powerful army in the world, but Vietnam was a disaster. No disrespect, sir. Uh, Korea was a disaster. Iraq, disaster. Afghanistan, a disaster. Why do you think the history in the last 50, 60 years has been so poor? Uh, There's a wide variety of reasons for it. One of them is that we don't want to fight foreign wars. We we didn't. So so instead of deciding that we're going to put all we possibly can into winning, um, we don't do that. We haven't done that um, since the Second World War. Uh, We have almost nobody in the – in the political realm who has any experience in the military. So they have very little idea what you can do with the military, what you cannot do with the military. Uh, A third reason is that politicians are incredibly unskilled at, at recognizing 
how you can project your power. We've got military instrument of power, but we also have diplomatic and economic instruments of power, and very few people in positions of authority have been able to integrate the three of them so that the Americans, we Americans, can mm. achieve our uh, national strategic objectives. There are lots more reasons for that, too, but those are just a few of them. We, we, most people in positions of authority don't have a clue, and unless until we can get people elected and selected, who uh, we pick them because they know what they're doing, not because we like the, the cut of their suit or their right. dress or anything. Mm-hmm. Until we do that, we're constantly going to be poorly served by people who make decisions. 30 seconds to go. Are you at all, um, I don't want to use the word nervous, but a lot of these like third world countries that all of a sudden, Colonel Jack Jacobs, have nuclear capabilities. I mean, whether, you know, Korea, these other, Iran, who the hell even knows these days? I mean, it seems like everybody has a nuclear weapon. Is that something moving forward that we should all be very, very worried about? Yeah, it's it's among the most dangerous things that can possibly be uh, confronting us is the proliferation of nuclear weapons. And the countries with nuclear weapons, who started out with nuclear weapons, have done a really rotten job making sure that that technology doesn't spread to other countries. Now you get complete lunatics with nuclear weapons, and you have others who say, well, we're really scared about this, so we're going to get nuclear weapons too. Uh, North Korea with nuclear weapons, Saudi Arabia talking about getting nuclear weapons. The proliferation of nuclear weapons is among the most dangerous things in the world. You, um, I know it ended the war, obviously, and probably prevented a lot of folks from dying in Japan. But uh, over history, uh, over time now, you were a fan of dropping the bombs in Hiroshima and Nagasaki? Oh, yeah, it was absolutely the right thing to do. You know, there's a time and a place for everything, and that was the right time and the place for it. What we should have done when we had developed nuclear weapons is a much better job of making sure that they didn't proliferate, and we we did a rotten job of that, and that's why we have – that's one of the reasons we have the problem we have today. On the way out, for uh, folks that are listening on the way to the parade right now, we've got a huge audience here, Jack, as you know – Listening to you, a guy that served so proudly in Vietnam and, again, a decorated soldier, what's your message to the other folks who served, even considering serving? What's your message on this Veterans Day morning? Well, we need the best people we possibly can defending this republic of, what, 330, 335 million people. But for everybody else, this is Veterans Day. And if you haven't served, don't think about the young kids out there defending all of us right now, just today. You got to think about them 365 days a year. Do not forget the kids who are out there keeping us safe. Oh, that's perfect message. Hey, it is great to catch up with you. You're uh, you're a great man, a hero. I always love talking to you. So keep coming by and happy Veterans Day, Colonel Jack Jacobs. You the man. Thank, thanks, Sid. Thanks for having me on the program. Of course, anytime. There he is, folks. Colonel Jack Jacobs on this Veterans Day, and that is a great guest. I love that guy. I'm talking to this guy for love a long time, right? You love him, right? Love him. Long time. Day one. Yeah, Colonel Jack Jacobs.